nothing better than the King. His love is unconditional. No matter what you've done, His mercies are new every morning. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter what the problem is. Oh, He can, he can turn everything Satan meant for bad into good. Never forget that. You turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn praise into goddess. You turn bones into armies. Turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. so hard to see it It took me so long to believe it You choose someone like me To carry your victory Perfection could never earn it You give what we don't deserve it You take the them to glory cause you are my champion giants fall when you stand undefeated every battle you won I am who you say I am you crack 
Miracles start breaking out. 
Jesus that is above every name I'm not a failure I'm not defeated I am victorious in the name of Jesus because of how powerful my God is I am victorious he says that I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus oh there's no devil in hell that's more powerful than this that just says mention the name of Jesus because they know that they're defeated they know what happened over 2,000 years ago on the cross. But even more, they know what happens three days later when he rose from the grave. And they couldn't hold him down. They couldn't keep him down. Why? Because he's the most powerful. He is all powerful. And there is no one that even compares to the greatness of who my God is. Amen.
Angels, as the angels cry. 
sing that one more time. Woe is me. Come on. And woe is me, for I'm a king. For I'm a king. Oh, my eyes have seen. And my eyes have seen. Oh, they sing the coming king. Yeah. The coming king. Right before. 
in this moment. I just wanted to read this to us. It says, uh, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn. That's so interesting. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and with glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Another version says with a mighty shout. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And you know, as we were worshiping and, and singing this song, so many times we can get in the habit of just singing about the holiness of the Lord. And it's just a song in church, I'm telling you. It's like I have this constant reminder in my heart about the holiness of God in this season. I have never sensed ever in my life the nearness of God and just that time ticking away on the calendar that his return is so near. And as we sing this, I keep hearing that because I know that in this culture of worship and revival and we love the Lord and we, we sense his nearness and that intimacy and, and there are beautiful times like that in the presence of God. But there's a day that's coming that the Bible calls the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Can you imagine that everybody on the earth is going about in normal life, right? They're eating and drinking and making merry. In New York City, the stock market is going like it always is and, and people are having family gathers and all this is going on. Then all of a sudden, the sky is going to crack open. That's what the Bible says. And like lightning from the east to the west, the appearing of the Son of Man will be. But here's the thing. It says, at that sight, many nations will mourn why in the world would anybody mourn at the coming of Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because in that moment, listen to me, those in this place this morning, many of you even in this room, on that day, you may not be ready. Because you came to church and services like this, and you sang the songs, and you went through the motions, and then when he comes, many people, their hearts will mourn. Because for a lack of a better term, they're saying, oh my God, this was all real. This was all real. It wasn't a fairy tale. It wasn't a story. And there will be nothing you can do in that moment. There will be not a moment of grace. There won't be a moment of repentance. There won't be a moment for you to get your life right. And in moments like this, when we're singing about the holiness of God, it's like the Lord is saying, I'm coming quickly. In this song, there, there's three responses. Number one, we acknowledge the holiness of God. And like the prophet, we become so acu acutely aware of our own sin. Woe is me, Lord, I am a man of unclean lips. Among a people with unclean lips, we acknowledge his holiness and we recognize our unholiness and our unrighteousness and we begin to repent. That is the only response to repent. But then when we repent, the Lord puts his hand on us and he allows us to go in peace and to declare that message. And before we move on, I get given this great big altar call. But I sense that some of you have missed this moment and the Lord doesn't want to move on until we take just a quick moment. If there is anything in your life, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't feel led to do that. But as we're singing this and you're realizing, you know what, I have sin in my heart. I have unrepented sin. I'm not right with God. That if he would split those skies right now and the shout of the Lord would come forth, I would be left. I wouldn't be ready. Why don't you just begin to repent in your heart? 
Lord, we repent to you, Father, for taking this thing lightly, for going through the motions in our Christian walk. Lord, there is so much taking place in the earth. We are living right in the middle of everything that you spoke about. Everything that you said would happen in the end, it's not coming, it's here. It's not a far-off, it's now. We are living in the middle of the very end of the last days. And Lord, I know in my heart that your appearing is coming, that all the things that you said would happen, they're happening and they're going to happen very soon. And Lord, we know that without holiness, we will not see you. If we don't live a holy life, if we don't repent of our sin and turn away, we're not going to see you. So, Jesus, we take this moment. We're so grateful to be in your presence. We're so grateful to be in the house of God, to hear the word of God. But, Lord, before we move on, we repent of our sin. We repent of our unrighteousness. We repent of being complacent and just doing things that we know are not pleasing to you. Father, today is coming where we're going to see you face to face. And television won't matter, sports won't matter, video games won't matter, our careers won't matter, money will not matter, traveling will not matter, our pets will not matter, nothing will matter in that moment except you. And in this moment, Father, I pray that you would just take the scales off our eyes, take the blinders off, Lord. Let us see you this morning as Isaiah saw you. Let us see your holiness and recognize, Father, the frailty and the sinfulness of our own hearts. Now, Lord, as we repent, you say if, you are, if we repent to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all of our iniquities. And, Lord, we receive that now because, Father, we know we live in an hour where the time is almost gone and you're raising up laborers to thrust into your harvest fields. And we ask in this place, God, that you would find laborers. I, I ask you, God, that you would burn in hearts this morning, that some walked in maybe cold, some walked in maybe dead, and they're going to walk out with a fire. They're going to walk out with purpose. They're going to walk out of here realizing, what have I been doing with my life? So, Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name that you would do a work in our hearts this morning. You are holy. There's none like you. And to know you is a gift and to live for you, God, it's an honor. And this morning, Lord, we give ourselves to you again and again and again. Thank you so much, Lord, for your presence in this place. Thank you for the reality of who you are in this place. And we ask you, Father, that you would move in such a mighty way. We pray, Lord, that you would turn our hearts upside down, that you would turn this place upside down, that you would turn this city upside down for your glory, God. If you agree with that, why don't you say amen? Well, I want to welcome you to Life Church, and I want to thank you for coming and worshiping with us. You know, this is a place that we believe that God is going to pour out his spirit in this city, and he's going to raise up many labors to go into the fields. But you have to hear this preacher this morning. The time is short. Amen. How many of you sense that? Amen. That I'm not just up here talking out the side of my head like my dad used to say. The time is short, and we need to get serious about God. You know, in my work week, I get so busy and I keep setting these reminders, like call this customer Monday morning. Call. It's like I have to have this constant reminder when the spirit, every time I turn around, I have this reminder that he's coming soon. That the enemy even tries to speak a temptation to my heart and the dread of the Lord. I, I, I know it's the fear of the Lord, but it's dread that comes over my heart. Like, don't do that. Don't think that. Don't touch that. Don't. I'm telling you, there's something that's happening. And I thank God for that. Amen. Well, we just want to remind you guys that we meet here every Sunday morning, Lord willing, at 10.30 a.m. We meet on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. And on those Wednesday nights, you know, all, you know, everything's available because I know we have guests that are coming through every week. But, you know, we have Children's Church. We have our youth. We have our, our 
I don't know what you call it, tweenagers, the in-between class, the junior high kids. All that's going on, and we want to welcome you guys. We want to invite you not only to Sunday morning, to Wednesday nights, and, and to whatever the Lord allows us to do. Is that fair enough? Amen. And just remember, here at Life Church, I see the things on the screen in front of me. Uh, this is just a reminder. Every week we want to remind you guys that we believe in giving to the Lord. And there are boxes in the back of the church that if you want to give a tithe or an offering, just sow into an area of the church, we make that available to you. And to those of you that just rather do it online, the text to give, the website, we have that as well. But we believe that giving to God is the best thing we can do. But we start with our hearts and we let that affect every area of our life. Amen? Amen. Well, I saw pastors, um, the title of his message on Facebook, and I, I tried, pastor, I tried to comment on it. I can't wait for this, and I realized that I commented as Life Church, but that was me. That's kind of weird. The, the church posted the message, then the church said, oh, I can't wait for this. So there you go. That was me. Amen. I'm, I'm excited about the message. Pastor, we welcome you up here. We're glad you're back. Aren't you glad pastor's back? I saw that afterwards and said the author commented, and I went, I didn't comment. Where did that come from? So now I know who the guilty party is. I wondered, who is author? It give you a little bit of power. Amen. Well, it is good to be back. My voice is a little sore, but uh, I've been, uh, where's Lenore and Acre? I've been sucking on those. Ginger candy, boy, that sure does help <clears throat> my sore throat. I uh, was in West Monroe last weekend, last Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, teaching Bible prophecy. And um, the Lord was gracious in that we saw more than 20 individuals for the first time commit their lives to Jesus Christ. And many others who repented of their coldness of heart. And so... Uh, <clears throat> We praise God. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I, I feel... <sighs> I feel like the Lord gave me this message uh, yesterday. And I feel like it has... I hate to use the term because it gets overused all the time, but it has a prophetic timing to it and so um, I believe God is going to speak to us uh, through this um, but I've got to say something first I've got to be obedient to the Holy Spirit you Andrew you, yes what is I forgot your name Ellen The Lord spoke to me during worship time there and said that he is using you and going to increase the anointing for intercession upon your life. Now, I don't know you. I mean, I know I've met you, but I don't know you. There's a difference. But he said, there'll be times you'll wake in the middle of the night and the groaning of intercession will be heavy upon you. In fact, as he showed me that, he said there'll be others. Some of you already are waking and you don't know why. And the groaning of intercession. Holy Spirit, 
The Bible says that the earth groans for the restoration of all things, and yet the church does not groan. I hear that in my, in my spirit. I hear the Spirit of God saying that. How is it that the earth can groan and the church does not groan for the restoration of all things? But I, I had to be obedient to say it now. I felt him to say it. And, and you just judge it, whether it's of the Lord or not. But there's, there's, an, there's an increase in, in that anointing coming. And, there's an, and with it, there's, there will be others. And if you do not know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about when the Spirit of God comes on you to pray. And you're not praying for yourself. You're standing in the gap. You're interceding. And I've seen it. I've seen it manifested with those whose gifting is in that area. We can all intercede. We're all called to pray and intercede. But there are those that is their ministry. And I'm telling you, when it comes, it is heavy. And it is, it is a life force. That's all I can say. And, and when God begins to move, it's not you, it's not you praying, it's you, but it's not you. That's all I can say. It is the Holy Spirit, it is a groaning, it is a weight, it's a heaviness. And I have seen it literally where people are trying to formulate words, even to pray in the Spirit is hard, but there's a groaning, there's, a, there's an increase even now being poured out on the earth. And I needed to speak that before I go into the message. I feel better. I had to say that because it was weighing heavy on me. I want to read from Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 16 through 22. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. And it says, someone came to him, speaking of Jesus, and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do? that I may obtain eternal life. And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these things I have kept... What am I still lacking? I want you to focus in on that, that phrase right there. What am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man <clears throat> heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. I've simply titled the message, risky Christianity. It's simply titled that because Jesus Christ didn't call his followers to be lame and tame and to just walk through life without any understanding of what their purpose was. I had an incredible experience this past week <clears throat> um, as I was ministering in West Monroe, there was a young man sitting on the front row, right about where you are, right, Pastor Elliot. And um, he had been brought to church by his boss who was sitting next to him. I didn't know that was his boss at the time. And um, 
And I talked about the very fact that God has created from the moment that you and I are created, from the moment a child is conceived in the womb, God has put a destiny and a, a divine DNA in that individual and that God has a purpose. And I later told a story about myself and afterwards, uh, when we gave the call, this young man stood and, 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 and repented and received Christ, but afterwards came up to me and said, I've, I've been going through life, and he's a young man. He said, I, I've been going through life, and I'm going, what is my purpose? I, surely there's a reason for my being, but I have no idea what it is. And so when my boss invited me to come to church tonight, um, he he invited me to come, and he said, I kind of prayed. That's where he was. He kind of prayed. And uh, he said, I said, God, if I, I need to know, is there a purpose for me? What is my purpose? And then you stand up here and tell me that we each have a purpose. And the story you gave, he said, you told a story. He said, I don't know why I'm telling that story. Maybe somebody needed to hear that. He said, I'm the somebody. And then he began to tell me that he, why and how it related and how God had spoken to him through that and how he was now going to go out. He said, I now have a mission. Okay? And so I'm just going to stop and say this. I'm cold, which means, and I'm not normally cold, so there may be others that are cold, so you may want to adjust that by one degree. Let's try one degree up. Okay? Anyway... <clears throat> And, 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 and the point simply is this, that, uh, that, that a lot of people are just going through life, especially Christians are just going through life, and they don't realize that God has a purpose for their life, and that they're actually going to give an account before God for the purpose in which he gave them, and, they, and, and how horrible it would be to stand before God and go, well, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. And so, um, <clears throat> this, anyway, get back on track here. This message is called Risky Christianity. And uh, this past week, you may have saw it in the news just a couple days ago, uh, Supreme Court Justice Alito came under fire for a speech that he made. How many of you saw that in the news? Any of you? About three or four of you. Okay, so I'm, this is going to be news for most of you. <clears throat> Justice Samuel Alito is one of the conservative justices on the U.S. Supreme Court. And uh, he was giving his speech, just a private speech at the Federalist Society, and um, he has come under fire by me, mo, uh, mainstream media and every other group that there is. And, um, but he made a number of comments, and I'm going to put one or two of them up on the board, but here's what he said. He, he was talking about um, free speech and choices, and here's what he warned. He said, he said, not only is the freedom of belief under threat, but the freedom of expression is as well. Now, this is coming from a justice on the Supreme Court. And then he went on and even suggested that the pressure Christians face surrounding their religious beliefs today in America is akin to the strictures the U.S. placed on Germany and Japan after World War II. Now, if you're not a history person, you don't understand anything about World War II, then you'll have to go back and look it up. But the, because uh, Germany and Japan uh, were the main two parts of the enemy axis of World War II, the United States put huge restrictions upon those nations in every area. 
And so he, was, he went on, he said that the pressure that is coming upon Christians in America today is akin to what we did to the Germans and the Japanese following World War II. And then he summarized his remarks with this. With this. He said one of the great challenges for the Supreme Court going forward will be to protect freedom of speech. Although that freedom is falling out of favor in some circles, we need to do whatever we can to prevent it from becoming a second-tier constitutional right. Now, this is, a, this is a powerful statement coming from a Supreme Court justice. He is saying that the right of free speech is falling out of favor. And it is, a, it is one of the very tenets of our constitutional rights here in the United States. And so you have to, I, I have to ask, now, if, for those of us who are old enough to understand and see the transitions over the years, we have to ask the question, how could this how could this, this freedom of speech be threatened in a nation that boasts in God we trust? How can this possibly be in the country that is called the land of the free and the home of the brave? Um, several years ago, uh, during Thanksgiving, my wife and I always take off uh, during Thanksgiving week, and we go out of town and, and just kind of rest, and she shops and I rest, and um, <laughs> that's rest for her. Uh, I don't get a lot of rest wondering how I'm going to pay for what she buys, you know, but no, I mean, I'm being a little facetious, a little. <laughs> and um, and uh, so, but several years ago, about 12 and a half, 13 years ago, I happened to look it up in my notes. Um, I, I was just taking the day um, uh, reading. I said, I'm, just not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to read. She had been up all night during midnight madness shopping. She, she left like at 5.30 in the evening and didn't come back until 10.30 the next morning. And so she was in bed, and I was said, I'm just going to stay here and relax. And I was reading a book, and I actually don't even remember the title of the book. But there was a question, and I remember mentioning this about 12 years ago. In fact, I ended up preaching a sermon titled on this in just a moment. So, but this is not that sermon, okay? So I just want to let you know that. But the author asked a question um, while I was reading the book, and it was one of those questions that just slaps you right between the eyes. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say something like that or read something like that, but it was so, it was so out there. It was so out of the ordinary that the picture in my mind was so shocking um, I had I had to stop reading I literally put a bookmark and put it down and said that's the you know I went through that thing and like that's either the dumbest thing anybody ever wrote or there's a side to that I don't understand and and rather than just dismiss it I had it hit me so hard I had to question it a little bit and, and so I'm sitting there giving it some thought, and I'm wondering, could that possibly be? And all of you are sitting there wondering what was the question, right? Well, I won't tell you. No, I'll tell you. Here was the question. Do angels yawn? Pretty stupid, huh? Three words. But it shook me. It really did. And, and I stopped to think... Why would anybody even say that? I mean, 
as crazy as it sounds, because there's no theological position on that. There's no place in the Bible that says, thus saith the Lord, angels do not sleep or yawn or get tired or whatever, you know? I mean, but the, but the idea that hit me, here's, here's how it hit me. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but the idea that hit me is whether or not angels have the capacity to be bored. Because most people yawn either because they're tired or they're bored. They're disinterested, right? You know, have you ever, how many of you, listen, how many of you have had to listen to someone just go on and on and on and on and on and on and on, right? And you're trying to be polite. Yeah, I see some of you are going. <laughs> Literally, I mean, um, and uh, so I'm trying to, trying to think. So here's what hit me. It, it caused me to wonder if Christians can live such safe lives that not only are we bored, are our guardian angels bored? Let's say some of you are going, I didn't even think of that. Well, that's the way my brain works. Uh, it's kind of scary, isn't it? <laughs> But here, 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 was, here was the follow-up question. I wrote these things down because I, I had to write them down to, to think them out. You know, I write things out to think things out a little bit. Because sometimes they just, they flash through my mind and then they're gone. I write them down so that I can, and then I'll write out my answers or my thoughts or whatever comes to mind to formulate uh, 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 or postulate an answer there, okay? And, and I said, if they could... If, if they could get so bored by our boring lives, would our guardian angels, if they could, coax us out of our comfort zone and beg us to give them something dangerous to guard us from? What good's a guardian angel? If all you're going to do is sit back and be safe. Come on now. Some of you, the light bulb's coming on. Some of you, it's just going right over your head. Reach up there and grab it. I'm just telling you. So, so I've got two questions for you, okay? I mean, I, I had to settle this 12, 13 years ago, but here's two questions I came up with yesterday to ask you. And the first one is this. When did it become acceptable to think that it's safe to follow Jesus Christ? Because if you listen to most everyday preaching in the United States today, it's all about God blessing you and God enriching you and he's, he's all for you and he is. He will bless and he will protect and he is all for you. But when did it ever become acceptable to think that coming to Jesus makes it safe? Because the one thing that Jesus ties to coming to him is picking up a cross and cross is a signal of death it's a symbol of death and so uh, it, and so this came me a second question if it is if the idea is that when you come to Christ you're going to be safe then i had to ask the question if it is about being safe is is what christianity is all about then why is it called a walk of faith because if it's safe, I don't need faith. I know what's coming. 
I'm assured everything's going to work out great. I mean, I, there's no tribulation, there's no trials, there's no problems, no, there's no issues. I mean, think about it. I mean, if being safe is what true Christianity is about, why is it called a walk of faith? I would put to you that one cannot simultaneously live by faith and be bored. You cannot live by faith and be safe. I mean, the apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, if I live, I live for Christ. You kill me, I'm going to see him. There's no safety in that. There's no safety net there. I mean, there is, but there isn't. <laughs> Come on now. But I mean, there is in that you can take my life and I'm going to be with him. But if you don't take my life, I'm going to still worship him. I'm going to still follow him. I'm going to still love him. And I'm still going to tell people about him. Well, what put you to death? Glory. I mean, and now that, that won't preach in most churches today in America. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. Look, faith and safe are opposing factors when it comes to Christ. We want to follow Christ, but we want to be assured everything is going to be safe, rosy, sweet. Jesus never said, follow me, and I promise you Disneyland. You know, I had a guy one time say, following Jesus is like a ripe bowl of peaches and cream. I said, sometimes the cream gets curdled and the peaches are a little spoiled. And he didn't like that. He said, well, you're just negative. I said, I'm being a realist. Jesus said, I have no place to lay my head. I have no place that I call home. But if you want to follow me, you're going to have to lay down all your agendas and all your dreams and goals, and you're going to have to pick up my cross and follow me. That's what he said. So I want, we read the story of the rich young ruler, and I want to go back and look at it a little bit. On paper, the rich young ruler had it all. He had youth, he had wealth, he had power, he had prestige, he had position, and yet he says, all those things I have done, what else do oh, I need to do because there's something missing. There's something lacking on the inside of it. In other words, he was bored with his faith as evidenced by the question to Jesus, what do I still lack? You don't ask what you're missing unless you feel like you're missing something. And, and at some point, somewhere in all of our lives, you're going to come to the place where you come to the end of yourself and you're still going to feel like you're lacking because you can only provide so much for yourself. But God made you in such a way that only he can fill the hole that is in your soul. He was, the rich young ruler was declaring to Jesus, I've done all the religious things that I, that's been expected of me, and yet I still have a longing inside that tells me something is still missing. There was this deep-seated longing for something more than sim simply not doing anything wrong. And that's where so many people's Christianity is. 
Don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. That's playing it safe. And, and, and as I read the story of the rich young ruler over and over again, it, it resounded in my spirit in regards to the church in America today. Now, I love to read and I love to write. Uh, when I was in California in high school, uh, we, I was in a very progressive uh, parochial school. And instead of taking regular English, I was offered the opportunity. In, in my freshman year, I took film arts. I learned how to make films. And so I, that, that was my English class. How many of you would take that over adjectives and adverbs and conjunctions and all that stuff, right? So my sophomore year, they offered creative writing. I said, I'm going to take that. And so I took creative writing. And I thank God to this day, I took creative writing. But I, when I moved from California to Alabama in my high school years, they were back to the more traditional stuff. And, and I, couldn't, I couldn't conjugate a verb or, 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 or a sentence or whatever. You know, I, could, I couldn't do that to save my life. And I just barely passed senior English, I can tell you that. And, um, but I love to read and I love to write stories. I, like, I love being part of discussion groups about books and things like that. And, um, and, and I write. Uh, but I am not a poet. Poetry is not my thing. Puzzles and poetry don't work in my life. Maybe it's things with peas. I don't know. You know, I haven't thought of that. I need to maybe see if there's something else. No, because I like pizza, and <laughs> you know. So maybe it's just you know. I don't know. But anyway, poetry is not my thing. You know, it's mainly roses are red, violets are blue, and whatever else you can come up with. That'll have to do. You know, that's it. You know. And um, so I, I don't write things like that. And, uh, but 12 years ago, that day, after I sat down all afternoon while my wife was sleeping off her shopping thing, you know, I sat there with a legal pad asking questions and reviewing them and searching scriptures and, and everything else. And then all of a sudden, I began to scribble some words down. Now, I'm about to embarrass myself and show you how poetry is not my thing. I've written lyrics to songs. That's not a big deal, but poetry is not my thing. Did I tell you poetry is not my thing? <laughs> because I'm about to embarrass myself. But as I wrote out these questions and wrote out these thoughts, all of a sudden, this is what came out. I wrote this and it simply says how bored I am how can this be where is the life for which Christ died for me I stand here now bored with my faith did Jesus die just to keep me safe Lord open the door and set me free I want to live real Christianity my life will change but that's okay I'd rather follow you than be bored with faith. And then I kneeled next to that sofa where I was sitting and I began to surrender everything in my life. I said, God, I don't want to live my life out and be safe.
See, there were many of my peers at that time who were saying, look, I just want to find a church someplace that I can live out the rest of my ministry years, just coast out, just kind of go along. And I said, I, that is not me. I cannot be that person. I will not be that person. You see, the challenge that Jesus gave that rich young ruler was to do something that was beyond his natural ability, to give away everything that he had come to rely on. And, and guess what? Jesus was challenging him to go beyond his level of comfort. He challenged him to live in a manner that was totally foreign to him, and that's what Jesus is challenging his church today. Are you going to live with what you know and where you feel safe and where you feel comfortable? Or are you willing to follow me and dare to step out in the days ahead because I have an impossible mission that you cannot do on your own? But with me, all things are possible. Are you willing to step out that your guardian angel hears the answer to your call to Jesus and your guardian angel says, see you later, boys. We're about to hit the adventure road. Listen, keeping the commandments is right. Following the word and being obedient to the word is right but in and of itself, it won't satisfy spiritually. We should know, or we know, I guess, or we should know, whichever it is, we should know that our sins are forgiven and they're forgotten, and we should know that we'll spend eternity with God when, he come, when we die or when Jesus comes back, one of the two. But too many people today are living with the sense of feeling spiritually confined when Jesus came to set us free. I, you, you know, when I was a kid, I loved reading the stories of those who went out west, those who are willing to brave the frontiers. And I always dreamed and always saw myself that I would be one of those people. I would not be the ones who would sit back in the confines of the cities where everything was built and everything was established, everything was there. I said, I was made for an adventure. I was made to live out there somewhere on the edge. And you may be sitting there going, Pastor, that's not me. Well, I could tell you this, Jesus will lead you if you'll accept the challenge. He'll take you places you've never been before. Because you have that destiny inside of you. We go, oh Lord, I remember this as a teen, when I was in college, I was... At a, at a church and there was an altar uh, altar call given and people, it was a missions convention and people were coming forward and saying, Lord, I'll go there. I'll, I'll go wherever you want. I'll go wherever you want. And I came up to pray for a young man. He said, Lord, I'll go anywhere but. And he told God where he would not go. And I, and, and I, I, I took my hand off because I thought, I don't want to pray for him. And, and then I thought, well, yeah, I'm going to pray for him, but I'm going to pray God mess him up. But then I thought, no, I'm not going to pray for him. Because I thought, you cannot surrender and put conditions. 
to, with God. You can't do it. You can't say, I'll do anything you want, but. I'll say anything you want, but. I'll, 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 I'll be used anywhere, but. No, 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 no. You know what I could tell you? Is if you're going to surrender to God, he's going to send you to the place you don't want to go, more than likely. He's going to put you in situations you don't want to be in. You know why? Because he's going to take you outside the realm of your comfort zone. Because see, if you stay in your comfort zone, then who's getting the glory? You are. But when you step outside the glory and you say, God, I'm in over my head. He said, you're about to learn to swim. Swimming in the Holy Ghost. You say, what kind of swimming? I don't know. Back paddle, you know, you know, dog paddle, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Hey, listen, I'm just telling you, God is about to raise up. Here, I met a man this past week that got a businessman this past week, and he spoke these words to me. He said, God gave me a dream, and he told me his dream, and I believe it was of the Lord. He's not in a church anywhere right now. He's been hurt and burned by people in the church. And I said, I understand where you're at. I, I, I do. But he did show up. He showed up on the night that I was preaching on the judgment seat of Christ, and he came. And I, and, and, and I know God touched his heart there. But he said, but God gave me a dream and showed me things that were coming to this nation. He told me details of things. I said, I agree with you in everything that you've said. He said, you know what God spoke to me? He said, God spoke to me. He said, he said I need warriors to stand up in these last days. Warriors. He said, but most of the people in church are not warriors for God, they're wimps. Maybe he has something to do with this message. I don't know. And it's true. Because <clears throat> in the case of this rich young ruler, his restraint was his financial security. How do we know that? Go back to verse 21. Look what it says. And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete. Now he's putting the ball back in his court. Because he said, all those things I've done, yet I'm still lacking. What is it I'm lacking? What do I need to do so I can be fu fulfilled, complete? What do I need to do? And Jesus said, if you wish to be complete, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. See, Jesus has a way of honing in right on the issue. And let me tell you what, that button in my life is not going to be the button in your life. He's going to find out where it is, and he's going to put his finger on it right there. And, and when, when we read the story of the rich young ruler, part of us feels bad for the guy because we're going, wow, Jesus really hit him hard, saying, go sell everything that you have, give it away, and then come follow me. And, we, you know, part of us is like, wow, Jesus, couldn't have you gone easier on the guy, you know? But then we have to remember, we already know that the backside of the story so part of us wants to go, what an idiot he was. I mean, because, I mean, the, the, to imagine that Jesus, the Son of God, offered him an internship, and he turns it down and walks away because of money. 
Now we can say that because we know who Jesus is. We know the rest of the story. Those who were following him didn't know he was going to die on a cross, be buried three days, be raised. They didn't know any of that. They had no clue. In fact, the disciples, the 12, who were with Jesus all the time, they were constantly asking him, when are you going to set up your kingdom? When are you going to set up your kingdom? When are you going to set up your kingdom? And what part are we going to have in it? Even after he had been raised from the dead, the first question they asked, when are you going to set up your kingdom? Are you going to set up your kingdom now? I mean, they just didn't get it. So the rich young ruler didn't get it. But we need to understand that they saw him as a teacher, a rabbi. They didn't see him as the son of God. And what we realized looking in hindsight is that the young the rich young ruler settled for spiritual mediocrity instead of striving for spiritual maturity. And can I tell you that he made this mistake of choosing his faith as being an accessory to his life rather than being life itself. And so many Christians are like that today in America. They add Jesus to their regular life. And can I tell you an illustration Jesus showed me as a teenage boy? When I was a teenage boy, I, I, I'd earned money any way I could. I mean, I, I had newspaper routes. I, I, I worked at a golf, at a country club. I mean, I did all kinds of stuff. But I also fixed bicycles. Because every kid's bicycle in town, it seemed like, was broken all the time. And I figured out how to fix bicycles. And so I had a little bike repair business on the side when I was a, about 14, 15 years old, okay? I mean, really. I mean, I had bikes coming to me all the time. So I was fixing bikes, but I had just come to Jesus Christ. And it'd be while I'd be working on those bicycles, the Holy Spirit would speak to me. And he said, God would speak to you. He really does. The problem is he's speaking to all of us. We just don't hear him well because we never get in a place where, where we can listen. And so I was just working away on that bicycle and one day the Holy Spirit said, I want to show you what's wrong with your life. I said, Holy Spirit, I said, I said I've given you my life. He said, you say you have, but I'm going to show you something. He said, take that bicycle and spin that bicycle wheel. It was upside down on a bike that I was working on. And I was changing out a sprocket on the bike. He said, just spin it. He said, he said, what are all those things that come out of the center of the hub? I said, spokes. He said, he said that's where you have me right now. I said, what do you mean? He said, You're, you are the center. You are the hub of that bicycle. He said, but you have me as a spoke, school as a spoke, your friends as a spoke, family as a spoke, and he, your social life as a spoke. And he just showed me, he said, but you're the center. He said, you'll never find me that way. He said, you've got to replace me as a spoke. I need to become the hub and I need to be connected to every part of your life in every way. 15 year old, God showed me that. I'm serious. And, and I never forgot that. I said, I'm sorry, God. I, I need, and from that point on, I go, okay, God, how do, you, how, do you, how do you want to be attached to this part of my life? How do you want to be attached? To, and you know what God began to do? He said, you got some friends that don't belong connected to you. I said, but, you know, you, we argue with God. We never win, but we argue. But, Lord, I'm trying to win them to Christ. He said, those right there are not open to receiving me, you've sown the seed, go on. He said, but these over here, you can reach. 
continue reaching out to them. He said, your family, the way you treat your brothers and sisters has to change. I'm the oldest of seven. I was the authority. I was the hammer of God. They were the ones that named me Meanie Zanini. My siblings, right? He said, he has mean eyes. My kids grew up calling me that. Because he does have mean eyes. That's what they'd always say. People at the church say, Pastor, it looks mean. I said, I don't know why I smile, but they could just say, he looks mean. I can't help it. These are the eyes God gave me, okay? But he did. He wanted to reconnect my social life. He says, this no longer belongs. I said, but God, he said, this no longer belongs. It's me or them. Which, what, which is it going to be? And little by little by little, he began making changes. And, and this is what he was telling the rich young ruler. He said, you could stay safe and secure, but you're still going to have a lack. But if you'll put me at the center of your life, go and sell all that you have, give to the poor, and then follow me, he said, you'll find the fulfillment that you're wanting to find. I'm just telling you, it's a matter of choosing the known for the unknown. You know what you have. I feel like, I feel like, what our president said in, in, in 2016 during one of the debates, he said, what do you have to lose? Nothing when it comes to Jesus. Nothing. What do you have to lose? He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, and everything in between. He is life in itself. He is life. He is the breath of very life. In him we live and move and have our being. What do we have to lose to follow him? Consider the lives of the 12 disciples that left everything to follow him. They heard the parables with their own two ears. They drank the water that Jesus turned into wine. They filleted all the fish that Jesus miraculously caught. And they were there when Jesus turned the temple upside down. They witnessed Jesus walk on water, not to mention the blind eyes open, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the dead raised. And they were there to see the first man fly some of you going did not the Bible say that he ascended into heaven he didn't take a 747 to do it he went up by himself they were there they saw it all and in a day when the average person in that day never traveled more than a 35-mile radius from their home, Jesus sent his disciples to the four corners of the known world. And most of them were ordinary fishermen. There was a tax collector, a doctor, a few other people in there. But most of them would have lived and died within sight of the Sea of Galilee. And yet Jesus said, if you'll follow me, I'll send you to the ends of the earth. I will give you a mission that will take you beyond your own world. And according to the third century, Third century historian, Eusebius, here, here's what he said. He said, Peter sailed to Italy. John ended up in Asia. James, the son of Zebedee, traveled as far as Spain. And even doubting Thomas went all the way to India. And they learned that following Jesus was not safe. 
They learned that following Jesus was not the same because of those four up on the screen, out of the 12, all of them were martyrs except for John who was sent to the Isle of Patmos and exiled there. But Peter and James and Thomas, they were all martyred for their faith. And yet they also knew that no matter the circumstances, they could not keep silent about the one who had changed their lives. And listen, I'm going to get ready to close, but I want to, I want to give you some historical context here because of what I believe the church and what God is saying to the church today here in America. Although the persecution during the Roman Empire resulted in the death and torture and imprisonment or dislocation of many Christians, the majority of the empire's Christians avoided punishment. Now, when we read stories, we think that every Christian was killed. Obviously, that couldn't have happened. Otherwise, Christianity could not have spread. There were many who were, were, were killed. Many that in, in the Colosseum of Rome were tied to fence posts and lions let loose and ripped them to shreds while the people cheered. Other times they were tied and covered in wax and lit on fire to be burning candles in the midst of, of that arena while the people of Rome cheered. I'm t I, I won't even go into telling you some of the horrible things. I remember when I read Fox's book of martyrs, I couldn't get about, after about page 20, 24, I couldn't read anymore where I read one of the disciples was that's where the skin is ripped off of you while you're still alive. I mean, Peter was crucified upside down because they tried to crucify him and he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord. So they crucified him upside down. I'm just telling you, here's the thing, that many were, were hurt and imprisoned and punished for the cause of Christ, but the majority of Christians in the empire of Rome avoided punishment. And the gospel of Jesus Christ continued to spread like wildfire around the world. But the persecution of the early church did do something positive. And this is what I want to tell you this morning. The persecution of the early church caused many churches to split between those who complied with imperial authority, in other words, the law of Rome, and those who held firm to the teachings of Jesus Christ. You can go back and research it yourself. I'm not gonna sit here and give you all the facts and figures if you wanna know. But here's what happened. As time went by from the first century to the second century to the third century, and, and, and Rome before, before Christianity by Constantine was declared to be the official religion, and then it it was polluted by the pagan things that were brought into it. But in those first couple centuries, the church was under fire. It was under persecution, but it did one of two things. People were told, you either get in line with what the government decrees, what Caesar decrees, or you hold to the teachings of Christ. And in holding to the teachings of Christ, you bring yourself under the rule of Rome and its punishment. On September 4th in 258 AD, we have recorded in the annals of history the public examination of, of, of Cyprian, who is the proconsul, um, by the proconsul of Rome in Carthage, uh, North Africa. 
Cyprian was an early theologian, Christian theologian. He was considered the bishop of the church, of the Christian church in Carthage, uh, North Africa. And he led the Christians in North Africa during a violent period of persecution from Rome. And I went and found his transcript of his trial. And, and you can find it online if you want. I'm just telling, I'm going to read it to you. I didn't put it up on the screen. But um, Galerius Maximus was like the, um, the attorney general of, of, of North Africa for Rome. Okay, so you know who I'm talking about. We're talking about Cyprian, who is the bishop of the church in Gallerus Maximus. Gallerus Maximus says, are you Thasius Cyprianus? And Cyprian says, I am. Gallerus says, the most sacred emperors have commanded you to conform to the Roman rites. Cyprian says, I refuse. Gallerus says, take heed for yourself. Cyprian, I gotta like this guy. He says, do as you are bid, in so clear a case, I may not take heed. In other words, no matter what you threaten, I'm not changing course. I'm not changing my profession. I'm not. I'm not. I'm holding true to my faith. And Gallerus goes on, and here's what he says. After briefly conferring with his judicial council, this was all set up ahead of time, if he didn't renounce his faith right then and there. And they knew, why did they go after him? Because they knew if he did, the rest of the sheep would follow. And so after conferring with his judicial council, it says, with much reluctance, he pronounced the following, quote, you have long lived an irreligious life, and have drawn together a number of men bound by an unlawful association and professed yourself an open enemy to the gods and the religion of Rome and the pious, most sacred and august emperors have endeavored in vain to bring you back to conformity with their religious observances, whereas therefore you have been apprehended as a principal and ringleader in these infamous crimes you shall be made an example to those whom you have wickedly associated with, uh, with those whom you have wickedly associated with you, the authority of law shall be ratified in your blood. He then read the sentence of the court that was written on a tablet. It says this, quote, it is the sentence of this court that Thasius Cyprianus be executed by the sword, unquote. And Cyprian said, quote, thanks be to God, unquote. And he was led directly out of that court place to his place of execution where he was decapitated. I want to say something and show you this, and this is, this is where I'm going to begin to summarize this up here, right here. This was more than 200 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 200 years the word had gone forth. For 200 years, Christianity had spread from one corner of the globe to the other under persecution of Rome, and yet Christianity continued to spread. And now Rome was on the, was on the side. Go back and read the fall of Rome. Rome is beginning to tilt and has already tilted, begun to fall away even from, even from within. It's collapsing from within because of its own crookedness, its own wickedness, and everything 
everything else. They're trying to do everything they can. And here's what government always does. To get the focus off of them, they look for something else to attack to deflect the people's attention that way. I'm telling you, this is the way it's always been through history. It's always this way with dictatorial relate, uh, rulers or t tyrants or whatever. Turn the people's attention a different way and get them to focus on something else. And here's what I wrote down last night. That, that more than 200 years after Jesus Christ arose from the dead, in the eyes of the Roman state, Christianity was not a religion at all and the church was a criminal organization. And when I wrote that down, I felt the Holy Spirit say, do not be surprised at that which comes in the days ahead. But tell the church the greatest days of the church are for those who are willing to take a stand and pick up his cross and say, Jesus, no matter what, I will follow you. For the enablement of the Holy Spirit is for those who need the and the strength and the wisdom to know how to stand, when to stand, what to say, and where to do it with the greatest impact and greatest effect upon people's lives. You may say Cyprian laid down his life for nothing, but he did not lay down his life for nothing. He, led, he, he laid his head down and they took it off and all the people who are believers, who believed in the word that he had taught them were convinced our God is real. He's real. But he didn't lay it down just for those people. He laid his life down for the one who rules forever and ever. And he keeps good records. And he knows and those who believe in him. And there are those, we read of the stoning of Stephen. And right before that last rock takes him out, the Bible says that Stephen looked up and he saw the throne. And he saw Jesus on the throne and I can tell you that he didn't feel another rock after that because he saw the one in whom he had believed we sang the song this morning of Isaiah says I've seen the Lord he's high and lifted up and his glory literally fills the temple I pray God pull back the veil in every church in America today let somebody somewhere in every church every congregation every home church wherever they mean in your name. Let someone somewhere realize that this is not the time for people to be safe. This is the time for those to stand up and be bold for the cause of Christ. I know somebody might say, well, pastor, you don't know what you're talking about. I do know. I spent two weeks with the underground church in Vietnam. I, and they knew that meeting together would send you to prison, mentioning Bible, mentioning Jesus, mentioning Christian or Christianity would, end, would put you in prison. I know what I'm talking about. I've been snuck into those underground church meetings out in the middle of of an orchard behind a Hindu temple. I've been I've been in a church meeting in an upstairs room in the middle of what was Saigon, which is now Ho Chi Minh City. I've been in those meetings, but you know what? The government says you can't meet unless you're an approved church. But the believers, they said we're meeting anyway because the Bible says do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as so many have already done. But remember that his coming is soon. His coming is soon. 
I do not stand here this morning and pretend to know what the future holds for the United States or for the church within its borders. I do know this, that there is a revival that is coming to the land. The means by which God chooses to bring it is unknown, but it is coming. If persecution comes this way, it will take men and women and young and old who are convinced in whom they have believed and are willing to take a stand. When I was growing up, my daddy used to always say, no guts, no glory. He would put that in front of me. Every time I had a challenge, no guts, no glory. Go home and cry if you want to. But if you got the guts, take a step. Well, I remember I heard somebody years later saying, no guts, no glory, same story. And I said, boy, that's, that ought to be the motto for so many Christians today. You're doing the same thing, but wondering why. You're not getting a different result, right? No guts, no glory, same story. When we lack the boldness to step out in faith, we rob God of the glory that rightfully belongs to him. And just like the young, rich young ruler, we have a choice that we have to make. You have a choice. I have a choice. Because the same offer is extended to us that was extended by Jesus to him. We could stay safe in our secure lifestyle and end up with everything and realize it amounts to nothing. Or we can come out of our self-imposed confinement and live on the adventure of a lifetime. I'm telling you that God wants to write his story through your life. I'm going to repeat that. God wants to write his story through your life. Do you realize his story combined is history? He wants to write history through your life. He wants you to be a history maker. He wants you to be a history changer. He wants his story to be so true in you. It doesn't matter where you've been or where you are now. It doesn't matter what you know or what you don't know. It doesn't matter what others have or what you have or what they have said or what you have said. What matters is that Jesus says, if you want to be complete, if you want to be whole, give everything you have away that is holding you back and take up his cross and follow him. And I want to ask you this morning, right now, we're going to pray right now, right now, we're going to pray, what is your answer to him? Are you willing to sell it all out? Are you willing to put it all down on the line? Are you willing to say, God, I give you everything? And I mean everything. There's not a nook, a cranny, a corner of anything of my life being held back. God, look inside of me. If there's something I'm holding back, show me, because I don't want over me. I am ready to go to the ends of the earth, wherever you send me, whatever mission it is, whether anyone else goes, Lord, all I need is your call and your direction and your Holy Spirit to be with me and to enable me and I'm gone. If that is for you, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm, I don't want you to be ashamed. If that's not you, don't stand. There's nothing shameful in that if you're not there yet. Don't make a, don't make a, don't stand and make a commitment you're not going to follow through on. But I'm convinced.
We are living in historical times. And it is time for the church to come out of hiding. It is time for the church to come out of its self-spun cocoon. And I pray that God bring us out changed, changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? I mean, are you ready? Do you realize that it was 12 that went out and changed the world? Look around this room. Look, look, look around. Don't be ashamed. Look around. Lafayette, Youngsville, Karen Crow, Scott, Maurice, Kaplan, Abbeville, Phil Platt, Rain, Crowley, Brobridge, Broussard. Look out! God's got an Amen. army! Amen. There's an army! There's an army! There's an army! Come on! Tell them right now! It's all! I give you everything, Jesus, in your own word! Right where you're at right now! Come on! Come on! Come on, church! Come on, pray! Come on! Let them hear your voice! Count me in, Jesus! Here I am! Look down in this place. I am standing because I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed to call you my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, even if it costs me my life, if it costs me my job, if it costs me my position, if it costs me my reputation, it doesn't matter. I give it all to you, God, because you're worthy. 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 You're worthy.
in America is so far from the church that's in this book but I dare to believe that God is able to do above and beyond all that I could ask or think so I'm daring to ask God to bring revival to the church in America today how many of you believe that God can invade the church in America today Amen. Wait, hey, you can put a sign on the door that says Holy Spirit not welcome and he'll go just watch me you know, just watch me. The bully, when I was a kid, he'd draw a line in the sand and say, I dare you step across that line. That's what most churches have done. We dare you, Holy Ghost, step across that line. Holy Ghost goes. And he'll step across. I'm telling you, he'll find, he'll find the one or the two or the three who are hungry. They're the rich young rulers of today. I'm convinced churches across America today are filled with rich young rulers and they have said we've done all those things I've done everything that was expected of me I've done everything that's been asked of me and I've done more than what's been asked and yet I still lack something what is it and I believe that calls going out across America today and the Holy Spirit is speaking and we need to pray that God open the ears and open the hearts of those he is speaking to who are willing to lay it all down. Will you agree with me on that? Let's pray right now. Father, across America, we know that you search to and fro across the earth. You look for those who will stand in the gap. You look for those who will worship you with spirit and in truth. And I believe you are looking for those right now who are like the rich young ruler, who are saying, I've done everything my church has asked me. I've done everything my denomination has asked me. I've done everything my pastor has asked me. And yet there's still something lacking. What is it? Let them hear your voice cry out that says, lay it all down, surrender everything, and take up my cross and follow me, and you will find fullness of life. God, there cannot be revival in the land until there's revival in the church. And I'm praying, light the fire again. Light the fire again. Light the fire again inside your church. Find those who are hungry. Find those who are thirsting for the move of the Holy Spirit and said, I don't care where you take me. I don't care what the label is on the door. I don't even care if they've got a building. God send me to where I can be 
that light, that fire that can be spread to others with the call and surrender of Jesus Christ. God, we ask for a move of the Holy Spirit in the church in America today. And now we pray for our nation. A nation in disarray. A nation that's so divided. A nation standing on the very precipice of your judgment. God, I pray like Daniel, have mercy for we have sinned against you. Have mercy, not because we deserve it, but because of who you are. That's what Daniel prayed. God, have mercy on the United States of America. One more time. One more time. Have mercy. That God, that the light of revival, which came across with our forefathers, who were daring to cross the ocean, who even among those, Lord God, that came, that came to Plymouth. Over half of them died before the first year was out, but they counted it worthy, the cause to be worthy, to be free, to worship you without the tyranny of England upon their neck. God, I pray for the church in America and the pulpits of America that you would raise up voices of righteousness prophetic voices that would understand the hour and understand the need and understand what needs to be done at the time it needs to be done god we know that we there it's up there it is possible to do the right thing at the wrong time and then in doing so circumvent that which you desire to do we pray that you lead the church in every step every word every factor lord god from this day out we've always prayed that but especially from this day out but god sweep the nation with revival let the revival fires of heaven fall in your church move out the front doors of every building every home church and let those home fires begin to burn and spread across this nation from east coast to west from north to south and beyond the shores and beyond the borders there God we pray this not out of selfishness because we surely don't deserve it as a people but we pray it for your glory and because of who you are let it be done to bring glory and honor to your name's sake we pray in the name of Jesus amen now I release you I speak over you these words of blessing when you walk out of here be a fire be on fire for him be the light in darkness be the salt in the earth wherever you go let the favor of God rest upon you for the glory of his name it's not a kingdom that you are building. It's a kingdom he is building. And we are simply the stones of that building that he's putting together and it's called the church. 
In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Now go in peace. Amen. If you need special prayer for anything, come and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, God bless you. Hope to see you Wednesday night. Make every effort to come Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. God bless. Take me there, oh take me there, I'm going.